0: Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. And good morning, everyone. As Mike mentioned, the McNamara team has a well-deserved Saturday off and it's pat harridan from lockton companies in boston sitting in and regular listeners know when i sit in i usually talk about insurance and employee benefits and we're going to do a, some of that today but we'll hopefully expand it a little bit more on the human resources field with with two special guests and tim we've got guests from the northern new england states and the southern new england states so we may All have right to, we may have to broaden our weather forecast. I don't know if I can get Bill Guile back on the phone. (laughs) In future shows. But but that is the plan. What I've found is when I'm on about four times a year and we do a show in the fall regarding Social Security, Medicare, and I think open enrollment we cover. But people have been asking for a little bit more from the professionals. So this year we've had on some great human resources professionals in New England and today is no exception. So today our first guest is Jade Monahan, and I will let her introduce herself. Jade, good morning.
1: Good morning, Pat and Kim. Thank you for having me. My name is Jade Monahan, and I am the director of human resources for a company called AM Derringer, Inc. Out of Saint Albans, Vermont, though I'm based in New Hampshire. And Daringer is the largest privately held U.S. customs house. Handling supply chain and logistics throughout the United States and Canada, with over 500 employees and 30 locations. Certainly know all the, all the state laws for those various <laughs> states
0: becomes very cumbersome but we do our best. So we so Tim, we've just hit New Hampshire and Vermont. Yes. And, and if you look at the number of states, there's thirty locations. I think it's fifteen or sixteen states. That's amazing. So, so that's great. And Jade, thank you f- for being our guest. As I mentioned to you and to our listeners, we've got our listeners range from employees of companies of all sizes, both here in, in eastern Massachusetts, but also listening listening on the app or listening online and they are, some of them are business owners, some of them are HR professionals, some are students. I actually have my students in the Masters in Human Resources program at Framingham State. I have them listen as well because the best learning usually comes from people doing the job. So we appreciate you taking the the first hour with us. Jade, let's start. I like to follow the sort of James Lipton inside the Actors Studio approach. Let's start at the beginning with you. What, give us a little bit of your background because I think what people are thinking about human resources careers but just the sort of role and job in general just what your background is what your degree is in and how you got to where you are and then I can ask some sort of follow-ups from there but I think it'd be good for our listeners to understand as we talk your perspective.
1: Absolutely I actually fell into HR and I mean that truly really, I had no <laughs> intention I have a degree in English and journalism from the University of New Hampshire, and I also attended Brandeis University. I do have a handful of certifications that I'm proud of also, but I started my career as a trainer, a software trainer actually, traveling 46 weeks out of the year to different client sites, installing software and training folks, and I got that opportunity through networking and fell in love with training. So learning and development was really the first big part of my career, including time as a field sales trainer with Johnson & Johnson. And then I worked for Partners Healthcare. So for those folks who are in the Boston or Massachusetts area, it is now Mass General Brigham. (laughs) And learning and development, operations, organizational development, and then fell under the HR umbrella and started to learn more about benefits and succession planning and all of the good things that go with HR, <clears throat> excuse me. And then I came home to New Hampshire, northern New Hampshire where I grew up and worked for a small tech company as their director of HR and have had progressive paths since then including a manufacturing plant and now with Deringer.
0: Yeah, so I always tell people, Jade, especially in insurance, it's more true. But in HR, a lot of people, most people don't have human resources degrees when they're in HR. It's typically something other than that. Journalism is different.
1: (laughs) Serves me very Very well well. in... (laughs) a couple of capacities including those dreaded all staff emails
0: yes (laughs) yes writing communication is key exactly
1: policy writing and certainly presenting i just earlier this week i was with all of our managers so about 65 of our folks throughout the u.s and canada came to vermont for our first off-site meeting since 2019 and so i had an opportunity to present a handful of things at that so the degree certainly helped me, but I do think there are many people I've worked with through the years who have really unique backgrounds, including a woman that I hired recently who comes from banking mm. and d- business degrees, a whole wide variety.
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 funny. You meet people, I've been doing this a long time, and you just meet people who, like you said, fell into it, but it's really where they should be because typically As I like to explain to people, I focus more on the benefits piece because that's what I know best, but human resources. And a lot of companies actually have renamed the HR function to be more people, talent. There's other names for it now, but you're still dealing with people. So that's great. And just a little bit more, because I want to, I'm going to ask you some questions about your day to day and your challenges, but for the people who may not know the freight or brokerage business, the types of employees that you have, obviously you have office staff, but what are the types? Are there, obviously you've got warehouses and transportation, but what are the different kind of types and roles of people? Cause I think that will help people understand not only the recruiting piece, but also the benefits piece.
1: Yes, so it's actually a bit of a challenge for sure. We have almost 200 job titles with 550 employees. So (laughs) it's a wide spectrum But we have meat inspection facilities. So when meat is being transported and needs to go through USDA inspections, we have staff that perform those responsibilities, including offloading the trucks and getting the meat through the USDA inspection and then off to the next truck to go to the customer site. We have licensed licensed customs brokers which is the highest level of certification or brokerage license in the U.S. customs field. We have an incredibly high number of those who perform customs consulting and entry work. We have a highly certified workforce which is actually it's a breath of fresh air because training and development is very much embraced at all levels of the organization and then we have of course office staff, IT, in-house marketing, sales, so we it really all levels, all the way up, of course, to executives, but we have a number of warehouse locations, including, for instance, in the Champlain area, we have eight warehouses all worked by the same group of staff. So it's an incredibly fast-moving business.
0: And, Jade, from a location perspective, do all your, loca- or most of your locations necessarily have to be near a port or a border, or are there any, like, in the mid Midwest, or is it pretty much perimeter? So, it's perimeter, great
1: question, Pat, sorry, I probably should have dived into that a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> yes, so we have air vessel ports, we have a northern border, so when we say perimeter, still, like, the Canadian border, we have Highgate and Derby, Vermont, Champlain, New York, Sweetgrass, Montana, up in Seattle, Washington, but also down into the ports like Houston, Los Angeles. We have an office in Atlanta. So for the most part, they are port driven. And when we talked about our 30 locations, those are the physical locations where we still have facilities. But we do have employees in 28 states now where pivoted during COVID and have embraced that. Those who can work remotely, we have allowed them to continue to do so if it's working well for them and the organization. But then, of course, our warehouses require everyone to go in daily. So that was some organizations everyone needed to go in, some organizations everyone could go home. We have about 25% who still need to go in every day to do their work. And that also creates a challenge in terms of the perception of equity. Yeah. We've worked very hard to try and provide reward for folks who are going in but maybe begrudgingly (laughs) and also putting guardrails in place for an organization that really did not have remote work before covid so it was entirely new and some people just didn't know how to remain accountable and on top of their work and so putting guardrails in place has been important.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about sort of COVID in a second and how it impacted you. And as you were speaking, Jade, just for the hell that I went on your careers site to look at the open jobs and for people who can't spell like me, the website for Jade's company is A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G-E-R dot com. And I just navigated to the careers and I can tell you, I am not qualified for any of those jobs that are <laughs> on there.
1: <laughs> it's, and it's And you can see, so of course I have that open almost all the time, but you can see it's quite a wide spectrum. We have meat inspection specialist, admin assistant, branch yeah. manager, it's an incredible spectrum. And I'm very lucky to have a talented recruiting team and we partner very well with the managers. But I'm also, I wanna just say briefly, when I joined a year and a half ago, we had 40 open roles. And we have not stopped hiring; we continue to hire. But I just have such a fabulous staff that we've been able to get that number down to roughly twelve to fifteen any given
0: week. Right. Yeah. I was literally looking right now on on Sat. Where for those listening live, it's Saturday, the tenth of June, and there are fifteen openings today, which is amazing. No. And obviously, one of the things, and you touched on Little Jade, is the people don't rem- even we have we all have short memories. I would suspect and again, I know there's port issues out on the West Coast now, which is a whole nother show, I'm sure. But yes. <laughs> for those I was just out there on Monday in Long Beach, actually, California, and I saw it firsthand. So I've seen the I've seen the log jam. But for you, just going back just a few years, you mentioned, you know no remote work prior to COVID, which made sense, but weren't, I would suspect that the majority of your employees were considered essential and had to work through the pandemic physically on site for the most part. Is that true?
1: Yes, certainly for the warehouse and the meat inspection, they were considered essential. Our customs entry writers were also considered essential as well as compliance and all of the elements that go with that. They do, however, have very much computer-driven We were able to procure the equipment, because in many cases, they just had desktops leading up to that, and we were able to get the equipment necessary to allow them to go home and feel safer, removed from a crowded office space. And I really admire, we have three officers who are in charge of the strategic direction of the organization, and we do a pulse check every quarter or so about whether people want to return and we did have people who felt like the distractions at home were just too much and they preferred an office environment (laughs) and we allowed that as long as we can feel safe with it but the vast majority really liked the work-life balance that they've created working from a home office for instance you your audience can probably relate to this our boston area office is in chelsea and we have some south shore folks who used to commute (laughs) up Healthy, yep. they are not raising their hands to come back into the office and deal with that commute every day. They gained roughly two hours a day of their lives back.
0: Yes. No. We're here on the south shore. We get it today, as Dave mentioned in the traffic. It's no problem getting in, but most people don't work on Saturdays and Sundays.
1: <laughs> and I was a little sad that I'm not headed on Cape because I heard there's no traffic getting on Cape. Also, I yes, there's no.
0: No no traffic on the Cape today, and the bridges are both two lanes. We had one-lane bridges, a one-lane bridge for a while, but they wisely decided to not do that during the summer. But, yeah, today is not, not a great weather day. We got a little smoke from the fires. You probably have a little bit more of that up where you are or had a little bit more of that. But
1: We have, yes.
0: But that and the COVID thing, I want to get into impacts the benefits in our kind of second segment. But you mentioned the other... When we meet with our clients and talk about just general strategy, one of the, or two, what they're related, two of the issues that they currently and have had for the last probably two and a half to three years is not only hiring, but also retention how can we keep these people and there's only again even though obviously you're a very successful firm but you can't just keep throwing money at people you've got to you've got to do some other things is there anything special that you guys have done from a recruitment or a retention strategy that our people can understand
1: Certainly, especially during COVID, a quote I read was that people working from home, it gives them more time to search for a new job. (laughs) And I was like, yes, that's very true. I am very proud of our retention. We have a significantly lower turnover than other organizations I've worked with. And we recently did an annual engagement survey and I was just blown away. They are by far the best results for any organization I've ever walked it, worked with and I'm trying to identify what the secret sauce is of course. <laughs> we don't miss out or cancel something that is really important. I do think the familial feel of the organization, uh-huh. I mentioned it's privately held. Our CEO and president is a relative of the founder so it's very much driven from the top down as a family feel and we understand even In the warehouse, that people had daycare issues. And yes, we need you to come in every day, but if we can be flexible in any capacity, we do our best to find the yes for that. And far and wide, we find it is not taken advantage of. We also, during until about a month ago, we were still doing COVID pay, Uh which just was some companies still did it just because it felt like the right thing, but we just didn't want people to burn through their PTO because they got COVID or worse, feel compelled to come in and hide their symptoms because they didn't wanna burn through their PTO. So I think at the end of the day, we really do live the core values of the organization. And I've heard HR leaders say that many times throughout my career. I've never said it in another organization because I never felt it as compellingly as I do at Derringer. And one of those is respect and I do find even when I'm having to do a difficult termination, at the end of the day, it is about humanity and treating our people like people, <laughs> which is really important.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, as I think I mentioned to you in our one of our conversations, I have I have a family that's in family members that are in the transportation and logistics, and your firm is regarded not only for the quality of work but also for the people. These are pe- even the the drivers that meet the warehouse staff when they do drop-offs. It's it's refreshing actually. You no know, great great company. I read the history and I was when I was going through some of the job descriptions as you were talking. You have your values and sort of commitment right in the job descriptions that the people. <laughs> that's like one of the requirements of the job is
1: yes (laughs) among the competencies which also in other organizations I've worked in the competencies have not been necessarily driven by the core values they've been driven very much just by the job it is it's unique for sure and we actually really do our best to live by those core values I do think sometimes that 10 is too many (laughs) (laughs) to aspire to, but that's definitely a nut to crack
0: another day. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, but no, it's good, especially in the times we're in for people to feel like a family and, and our firm, the firm I work for is, is, it's a large firm, it's a $3 billion firm, but it's still family owned and you still feel that way, especially in our local offices, which I think is great.
1: One quick one Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No go ahead. One quick thing on that though. When we were working on some job marketing, we were worried that in more of the urban areas in particular, or actually even rural, that using the word family might suggest nepotism and oh. keep people from to be part of it. So we shied away from it for a while and used community instead. Okay. But what was interesting was in all of our staff surveys, everything came back about how great it is to feel like part of the family. And so we decided to stop shying away from it because it really is the feel. And, you know, obviously we do our best to control any perception of nepotism, but it truly does part of what's so special about Deringer is it has a family feel.
0: Yeah, no, I know. Family is sometimes an overused word, too, because, you know... <laughs> Some people say I don't want it to be like my family cuz we're dysfunctional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd rather go someplace where it's not like home.
1: <laughs> True.
0: But what I was going to ask, we've got a we've got a break at the bottom of the hour where I want to talk more more benefits, but this is more for our HR professionals and my students. You mentioned, I think, about around about 500 employees and 28 locations. How, From a staff perspective, and Jade, your staff, you're the head of HR, you've got people. About how many people do you have in the HR function for based on that size and that number of locations? We have seven folks on my
1: team, and that includes learning and development. And we are looking at, based on some of the programs that we're trying to get momentum with, we're looking at perhaps adding one additional. And of course, being mindful of watching the economy and being very smart about it so that we don't get overstaffed. But right now we have seven, and that includes an engagement partner, which was a new role we created, last year to help keep people feeling part of the fold while they're remote.
0: And and was I right on the, you have about 500, and most of those are full-time, the 500?
1: We have just shy of 550, and the vast majority are full-time, yes. And it's, it's really hard to come up with a part-time role with as much work as we have right yeah.
0: now. So. <laughs> no, I hear you. All right, so after the break, Jade, I'm gonna, we're going to go through, we're going to talk specific benefits with you, and hopefully we can generate some, help some of our listeners out with what benefits you offer. So we'll be back after the break. And this is Pat Harridan from Lockton Companies in Boston. As I mentioned earlier, Mike and the McNamara team have the day off. Hopefully they have indoor activities because it is not the best weather out there. And when I'm on, we talk employee benefits, insurance, and we've expanded a little bit today with with our guest, Jade Monahan from A.N. Derringer in, in Vermont. But as we found in 16 other states and 28 different locations jade we are going to talk now a little bit about benefits because i think after pure payroll or pure salaries that's probably the next biggest item in most budgets outside of the operation and again in the context of recruiting and retaining i just went to the i went to the page i think i'm still on the career page on your website and obviously you offer the standard benefits, but from a strategic point of view, meaning medical, dental life and all that, but strategic, yeah. strategically, how do you, th- and for people listening, Derringer and Jade, they're not a client of ours. So I'm doing this blind. I have no idea. So I'm just asking, how do you think about benefits to offer? And since you've been there, have you made changes either due to COVID, you mentioned the pay, but during co- due, due to COVID or just do it due to philosophical or how you want to approach the benefit strategy?
1: So, so yes, of course, medical, dental, vision are key factors, and we're very thoughtful about the cost, what costs the organization holds versus having to pass on to our colleagues. We also, so one thing that is actually a benefit, although I see it as a benefit, it might be viewed slightly differently, but we embraced a partnership with an organization called A World Without Suicide. And have offered a live training and recorded training to all of our staff, as well as their partners and spouses around mental well being, suicide awareness, breaking the stigma of mental health issues, and more. And it was a benefit that certainly was not inexpensive, but we really mm. felt during COVID with so many people working from home and feeling isolated. And those of us who have children really struggling with the issues that our children were dealing with, the changes in their social outlets. We felt that it was a program that was really important both in investing in the speaker time, but also the time for all of our staff to be away from their work for that period during the day to embrace the training program. So that's one benefit that we've done over the last two years that we're very proud of and is incredibly important to us. We also rolled out an app to our team that mm. is an employee benefit kind of all in one portal, but it also includes a talk therapy vendor that is no cost to our colleagues. So if they need or feel they need to interface with a therapist, they can set an appointment and there's no cost sharing whatsoever to our team. Those were two really critical pieces to our benefits in the last a year and a half or two years and we are actually getting ready to look at renewal soon so we are considering we're considering adding a benefit focus group which i've done in one other organization and if done well it can certainly glean what people like or dislike about it and make sure we don't make promises but that we go into the (laughs) marketplace (laughs) right that's really critical (laughs) but we can go into the marketplace and look for if we aren't meeting their needs currently
0: something that might help us do no it's funny you mentioned that jade we always tell surveys are great the only problem with surveys is if people take the time to respond and share their opinions they're going to expect you to act yes. <laughs> yes. the expect, and- expectation has to be set up front that hey we're trying to gather you've got 500 or so different priorities probably with all the different employees so it's hard but it is good because sometimes what we think is good for our people isn't but that's a good strategy are you going to do it and the other thing is that we found is depending on how you do it if you have a third party do it it's usually easier for people to open up
1: Yes. So full disclosure, I've pitched this idea just conceptually to <laughs> my boss, who's the chief administration officer, and she's open to hearing more, but it's not been fully embraced yet. So. <laughs> I say I put the cart before the horse, but I have done it in another organization yep. and it was very successful for us. We did not use a third party there but only because it was a much smaller organization and it was mm-hmm. quite easy to do it with my team. Yep. But I agree if there if there's a facilitator that people are not worried about HR judging their feedback or if the feedback is that HR isn't administering the benefits <laughs> as well as I would want them to be open about that. So, yes, there's, and there are a lot of pitfalls to avoid in doing that.
0: Yes, no, it's, it's great to solicit opinions. And it's helpful, too, because I think if people think they're being heard, and again, you can't be everything, all things to all people, but you don't want to put something out there. Like, we had weird stories, but... One of our clients wanted to put in a smoking cessation program and spend a lot of money. And this was maybe four or five years ago. And I said, have you ever, do you know how many smokers you have? And we did a survey and it was only about 3% of the population. So it wasn't Uh, really, (laughs) it's great,
1: uh, but,
0: (laughs) and also the people that are, have other maybe addictive behaviors, whether it's nutrition related or they feel left out and it's probably more of them. So yeah, always a good thing. And again, for people thinking about HR, you have to have that broader knowledge of what are other people, you may have a, a vision of what your benefits should look like. Like my children now are all, or hopefully getting three I got a couple more years they'll all be getting off my medical plan because they'll be 26 <laughs> or over <laughs> so I have a different idea I want the H. I I know you guys offer the HSA the health savings account with the high deductible I want that because now I can start saving I don't have to spend it on my kids I can start saving for my retirement piece of medical because my firm doesn't offer Or retirement a retiree medical plan that supplements medicare so i'm saving for that but i'm curious just because i see it you may have another plan there too jade but it looks like you are for both the hsa and the hra and regular listeners of the show will know what those are but i'll explain them later do you find with with the incentive that the company puts in you're getting good enrollment and good satisfaction with those types of plans because we've talked about them on the show before
1: Yes, and I think it's incredibly important to have the two offerings because we have very differing needs throughout the organization. And I probably should have said this at the beginning of the benefits or even in the first half hour, we have folks who've been with Derringer for 40 years and we yeah. have folks who've been with Derringer for four days. <laughs> and so with the differing demographics, we, as you mentioned, like you look at it from a perspective of your children aging out of your plan and what's right. next to you and your lifestyle. We have many folks in that situation, but then we also have young people who are just getting ready to think about starting a family and they're looking at benefits from an entirely different perspective. So we do offer the two choices. We feel it's very important to um, make sure we can touch on as many needs as possible. And the other element that's really critical for us is I have a generalist, a senior generalist who is very well-versed in benefits. I'm really lucky to have her on my team. And she does one-on-one meetings with all of our new hires because so many people don't understand an HRA, an HSA, <laughs> an FSA, an LMNOP. She meets one-on-one with them, and then also as they have, if they have any issues or not understanding if something's going to be covered in advance, she can help them work with our carrier. And occasionally, we have to engage our broker to help resolve issues, and right. we have a point person there. So the one point person for our staff is really i find it's highly successful if you're able to pull it off because it's not i already told so and so half of this story and trying Mm -hmm. to piece together it's already been done we have one person who helps them resolve or answer questions in advance of a service
0: yeah no and i think that's important especially so for the people who don't remember because i don't know when we went over it probably a long time ago when i was on with mike but What we're talking about for the people who may not even have access to these, an HSA or health savings account plan, that's a plan where basically you have a a savings account which you can put in your money, and I think you guys do as well. The employer can put some money in, and I think you guys do, Jade, correct?
1: They do, yeah.
0: So that helps because... The reason that's important is under this HSA high deductible plan. I hate the word high deductible. They've got to change that, but that's what it's called. But under the HSA deductible plan that meets the federal rules, uh, all of the care that's not preventive is subject to your deductible, which can be significant. So if you have to go to the emergency room or get an MRI or a surgery or deliver a baby or something that happens that's non-preventive before you've built up enough in your... HSA and some employers probably front load contributions then you know it becomes edu- as you said an education issue we want to make sure people understand that whereas an HRA is the health reimbursement arrangement not an account where if there are services the employer not the employee the employer provides a reimbursement for certain things depending on the plan design as you said jade Typically, the the early career or lower paid would probably migrate towards the HRA, higher paid and later career probably migrate to the HSA. Some people can do the math. If they're single, it may not make a difference. But if their families, young families probably want the, the HRA first, you never, you, but you never can assume you have to offer both and see what happens. And the other
1: piece to that, Pat, that I think is really important to folks listening is that As I mentioned, there are many people who do not understand it. And sometimes they have to learn to understand it during a very stressful point in their life if there's a health issue for them or a family member. But we really have found that education, one-pagers that just explain the benefits or ups or downsides of both plans so that they can make an informed decision is incredibly important during open enrollment. And then as people are coming back around with questions about a claim where they perhaps had more cost sharing than they expected to, or whatever the scenario might be, we really try to spend time explaining all of the terms and elements to them so that they walk away not feeling like our carrier mistreated them or their provider didn't charge appropriately or or didn't cover what we should have. We wanna make sure that we're all on the same page about what their responsibility is. And I found that goes a very long way.
0: Yes, no, it does. And obviously you have an additional challenge that some of our employers don't in that you have to have a plan that, as you said, covers the, whatever that number is now, five generations in the workforce or something like that. But also (laughs) you mentioned the different locations. So you've got to have a provider that has adequate or access to... An adequate number of facilities and physicians throughout the country because even though as you mentioned when we and in, in the first half hour you have physical locations maybe around the perimeter but you technically or theoretically could have employees that live anywhere that's
1: correct and we do have canadian employees so ah. we have that element for instance our eap our provider for EAP services is different in the U.S. versus our Canadian employees. There are many moving pieces <laughs> that we have to keep track of and make
0: sure that we're providing the best option for our team. Yes, no, and the, that's a great, I was. I actually wrote EAP down. Tim, if he was here, would verify that. But the EAP, which is the Employee Assistance Plan or ins- Employee Assistance Program, that, that particular benefit, and you can corroborate this too, I'm sure Jade is. That was probably the most underutilized benefit that employers offered to employees prior to the pandemic.
1: I would, <laughs> it was never something <laughs> top of mind for me, truly. When would call with a concern or an issue, I would think of so many other resources first, but... <laughs> truly on my desktop I have our Mm. EAP brochures saved because I grab them so frequently to give to folks electronically as a resource to reach out so and it's caused us to evaluate the vendors more closely than maybe other times in my career where it was just a check the box that you offer it which sounds terrible but I think most people would say yes that was a reality now it is Really, what do they offer? Is it someone live? Do they have to reach out and make an appointment? How quickly is the turnaround? There are many elements now that need to be considered for
0: the EAP. Right. So I think that from a, and that is one where, again, back to your earlier comment for a segment, that's where communication is key. I was going to ask you, and I will after I finish on the EAP on how do you communicate the benefits to your employees? And you mentioned the EAP, sometimes that's a benefit that we need to c- communicate to the spouse and the children. And sometimes yes. as well-meaning and well-intentioned as our employees are, they don't obviously bring everything home, we found <laughs> and way back when things were still paper. But yeah, the EAP, I think, has obviously evolved. Telehealth for the behavioral health has evolved. And I think the people that gravitated towards the telehealth, especially on the behavioral health, that's obviously it's a totally different service model but that's almost like an eap that is reaching out to someone telephonically or over the computer to get help or counseling and as you mentioned some of the eaps were simply just referrals they would refer you to a therapist others provided actual sessions and i used to again i've been doing this 32 years way back when you're right. The ROI, the CFO would always ask, what are we doing here? We're spending whatever it was, 30, 50 bucks per employee per year. And again, for those out there on the EAP, the employer doesn't see anything but the number of people that have accessed it. That's it. There's even before HIPAA, there's pure confidentiality. All we get is, hey, in the course of the year, we had 300 calls. That was it. That's all we yeah. wanted to know didn't want to know any more than that other than if those calls had a successful outcome because then we would have to as you said reevaluate a vendor if they weren't getting a first second or third call resolution
1: and that that continues it actually surprises me that continues to be a little bit of an unknown gray area for yes. employees in many organizations I had a manager who called and they had a staff member who was really struggling and the manager had suggested EAP but the staff member was worried that the organization would learn about their issues and so we try very hard to educate also to the entire confidentiality element of eap and there's always those folks who don't believe you and i don't know how to address (laughs) that population but i do think whenever sharing the eap resource we we try to be uh, to include a reminder that we get nothing back about this so feel free to be candid leverage it as much as you're able to because it does not impact your
0: employment here. And the other thing that, again, some EAPs, most EAPs do this now, which I did not know, and this is, I've been doing this, like I said, 32 years, and I didn't know because I had a situation where I needed the EAP to help me as a manager because we had an unfortunate death in our staff. We had a, so I didn't know as people were coming into the office that day how to react how to communicate how to anything just that's a shock for people especially this person was relatively young they were very helpful and they got a ner- they literally had a nurse come over a therapist sat down talked to people had office hours it was great for me and again if my human resources person didn't tell me that this was available to me I wouldn't have known it and it's more usually that's one of those, like you said, the brochure or the magnet or whatever we send people home with. That's one of those things which that industry has evolved now into the stress, financial counseling, all of family counseling, all of those things that people may find difficult to speak to a colleague about, but can do that. So that's, I think that's critical. And obviously COVID highlighted that need. Now, as we get I don't want to say we're back to normal because I don't think we'll ever be normal. But as we come out, as the emergency has ended and telehealth is going to return to the old, I will, I'm using quotation fingers for those who can't see me, which is everyone. But obviously behavioral health will continue to be accessed by telehealth in a similar manner. But the rank, the normal medical for non-behavioral health, meaning normal conditions, are still going to be held, done the kind of old telehealth way where... You know, you have a condition, you can call in and do that. And obviously for the remote workforce or not near, we've got, we have clients, Jade, with employees way up in New Hampshire or way up in in Maine at their their vacation house or their cabin. And they're doing work and they're being productive, but they're just not near a medical facility that would help them.
1: I live in a very rural part of northern New Hampshire, so I embrace telehealth as much as possible. I did want to say one more quick thing on EAP because it took me until a couple of years ago to really leverage this. But if you have a, a really strong EAP vendor, they more than likely offer training also. And our vendor has a beautiful catalog of about 50 webinars that can be done on demand as well as live sessions that people can join. So we promote those. And then for a small upcharge, I want to say about $200, you can actually do a custom where, for instance, I could say, I really like that program that you offer on identity theft, for lack of a better example. Can we schedule just for Deringer folks to attend and sign up and be a private training? And you can do that as well. So a very affordable, if not packed into your expense, program for training that is, I find, not leveraged enough. Yeah, no,
0: that's good. And right, as you said, I think the EAP vendors have evolved and they're much more flexible now than just an off-the-shelf model yeah. with the pricing on EAPs, other than, as you mentioned, some of the enhancements hasn't really changed that much in the years. I've got three more questions, Jade, so I want to get these in. And this, <laughs> these two questions are for my students because I preach this and I have not, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I have not pre- given you these two questions nor have I given you what I think the answer should be. So I'm gonna ask you and just answer honestly and hopefully students if you're listening, you'll understand why I stress this twice. So I'm gonna ask you first question is how do you handle your because you have again five hundred or so people in twenty eight or so different places and multiple states, how do you administer your leaves, your absences? Do you do it yourself or do you have a third party do it?
1: I'm not going to answer that correctly. If I could, I would have a third party do it. But we actually do it internally with the senior generalist that I mentioned. And the reason is in states where we don't have leave requirements, we have an internal program that we have stood up to try and still offer them opportunity to get equitable leave to folks in other states so, okay. uh, ours is exceptionally
0: complex and done in-house got it student student sh- she said it before oh. her first sentence was if i had it my way i would do it with i would use a third party <laughs> but no as unless you've got you it seems like you have great people obviously throughout the organization but right it's so complex to administer leave for people that live in a different state than they work or you've got people in Canada, obviously. So to be equitable to everyone, I know you said you were very generous on the paid time off as well, but leave management just in general as
1: more. It's so full of opportunity for risk and liability. And I find every time we get a scenario, we have to research whether a state law has changed since the last time we looked at that state. (laughs) Yes definitely third party if you have the opportunity it, i'm not saying what we do is wrong for us but right. if i were setting up a, a new plan for a new organization for instance i would definitely pursue third party
0: yep nope no that's fair and the second one and hopefully now that you said you've got great people i'm nervous but <laughs> who how do you administer cobra cobra is
1: done through a third party ah,
0: so. excellent
1: <laughs> Yes, and that we have pretty low turnover. So right. actually, that's interesting—one that we don't have to do as much Cobra as I have with other organizations. But we do manage that entirely through a third
0: party. And for those who we talk about this a lot when we have—we talk about retirement. Cobra is the the law that allows people to continue benefits when they lose employment, either through retirement layoff termination or death of the employee for the family and again the rules just like we talked about leave the rules especially after covid because all the rules changed <laughs> yeah. you have to administer correctly you have to make sure that you're getting payments you have to cancel people. it's very complex even like you said that's great that you have low turnover we have a lot of retail seasonal establishments that have very high turnover and it's a nightmare even if people don't don't take you up on it because it is obviously expensive you've got that notice requirement and tracking so i
1: used to manage it in-house in another organization and it just it was unbelievably stressful worrying about do i have the right date in there is that the right figure am i it just there's no reason not to spend a few dollars to have it administered through a third party that knows it in and out
0: Yes, and that's like I said, and our our clients that are less less fortunate, that don't have great people, outsource leave also because that is more of a nightmare. And what we find, probably not the case with you since you've got a, seems like you have pretty good people there. What we find, <clears throat> excuse me, is people that administer their own leave typically are more generous than they should be. In other words, they don't deny leaves Yet. a third party would because they're following the rules strictly and have no kind of emotional or other attachment to them. So, again, but I think your culture is such that it makes sense. All right, you have 30 seconds for the last one, Jade. Okay. What would be your (laughs) advice to someone who wants to enter the human resources field? And now you have 25 seconds.
1: Okay. Uh Okay. I always demonstrate initiative. So even if you weren't told to take something on, find a way to take on more as long as it's appropriate for your skill set. And be a really great listener, but keep
0: it private. Great. No, thank you, Jade. I appreciate you taking it. You should have added, take the uh, Masters in Human Resources program <laughs> at Framingham State taught by <laughs> Pat. But no, thank you, Jade. And again, the website is A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G-E-R dot com. And it's Jade Monahan. Jade, thank you very much. I appreciated your time and your advice. And I think our listeners did as well. So thank you, Jade, and have a good weekend.
1: Thank you.